Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship. It's good to see you. Uh, Before we get started, let me announce a few things. The first is important, and it's not on the bulletin. We are going to be having a congregational meeting this coming Sunday, right after the service, uh, for the purpose to vote to approve property acquisition for a second manse and the steps necessary to accomplish that goal. So that is what the congregational meeting will be about. So if you're a member of this church, please come to that meeting. You can ask questions. Uh, We'll have some discussion about that, and that will be the business of that meeting. So this coming Sunday, after the worship service, that's July 9th. Uh, Secondly, the youth are meeting tonight at El Paisaje, which is the Mexican restaurant next to the old theater. Uh, cinema. So if you are part of that group, we'd love to have you there for dinner tonight. And lastly, there is a missions committee meeting this evening at 5 p.m. and it's open to anyone who would be interested in participating with the missions committee and for those who are on that committee already. And if you haven't yet signed up your children for VBS, please do that today. The Lord Jesus has brought us here to worship. Um, His Spirit is the one empowering us to worship. So let's take a few moments to ask God to help us to worship Him this morning, to ask Him to still our hearts and our minds so that we can do that. We'll do that now. Would you please stand for our call to worship from Psalm 95, verses 1 to 2. 
This is God's word. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. This is God's command, and this is, and through God we do this. Let's w- worship God together uh, by singing praise. We'll sing hymn number 122, which is God, all nature sings thy glory. Let's sing hymn 122. God, we are here to magnify your name, to magnify your works, to magnify you. So God, would you send your Holy Spirit to be with us this morning as we worship you? Would you help us as we come with many different thoughts and feelings, uh, many different uh, ways in which we are suffering, uh, ways in which we are rejoicing? Lord, we bring a lot of baggage to church on Sundays, and would you help us navigate through that in order to worship you in spirit and in truth. Would you calm our minds, calm our spirits and our hearts, and would you help us to worship you well? We pray this, Holy Spirit, and would you lead us in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would remain standing in your your bulletin, you'll find the Confession of Faith. And we're using the Apostles' Creed. And we believe this is a good summary of what God has taught us in his word about himself and about our world about ourselves. So, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, 
He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to lead us in prayer once again this morning based on Psalm 22, verses 26 to 31. So would you please join me in prayer? God, we come before you asking for your guidance, for your help. Lord, we read in your word that those who seek you shall praise the Lord. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and you rule over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship, and before you will bow all who go down to the dust, even the ones who could not keep themselves alive. As you say, our offspring will serve you, It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim your righteousness to a people yet unborn that you have done it. God, as we celebrate this week in this country, the independence of our country, it's right to remember that you are king over the earth. Our country is one among many in which, of course, you rule over. And you've blessed us beyond anything that we deserve or could have earned. And so we thank you, Lord, for our nation, for our government, for our security, for the many freedoms that we enjoy. And rather than preach the good news of our country, we pray that you would cause us to preach the good news of you, our King, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord. We are all on our way to the dust, as your word says, to be raised to new life, to live in the new heavens and the new earth with you and your people. This place is not our home. It's not our final resting place. But you've put us here for a time and for a purpose. And God, as you've instructed in Jeremiah 29, seek the peace and prosperity of this city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So Lord, I pray that you would use your people in Louisville, to bless Louisville, to bless our country, to cause it to prosper. And in our prosperity, would you open doors to share about your kingship and your grace. Lord, we continue to pray for members of this congregation. We continue to pray for the Kirks as they adjust to, to a life without a sure footing. We pray that you would sustain them and bless them. We thank you for safe travels for our middle school ladies as they went to RYM this past week, and we pray for our high school group as they leave tomorrow for uh, the same traveling mercies, uh, for that uh, unique fellowship that's enjoyed over this week. Would you give them a great time learning about your grace uh, while they enjoy your creation? God, we ask that you would pave the way for a wonderful vacation Bible school this year, one that's memorable for our children and life-giving for all of our volunteers and leaders who are involved in that. God, we give thanks for the good report about Kim Higgison, how her surgery was a success, and she's able to come home tomorrow. We give you all the praise, and we give you all thanks for that good news and for that Uh, good work that you have done there. Lord, we love you, and we pray that you would receive our prayers and our worship in spirit and in truth, that you would bless this time. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Please pray with me. Lord, we give our tithes and offerings uh, for some of us each week, some of us monthly, some of us uh, just at different times during the year. And we give because you have called us to give to your church, to your kingdom work. And as we give, you have promised to not only bless your church, but to bless us. So would you give us hearts that are eager to give? Would you bless us in our giving? Would you bless our tithes and offerings to do your work? Uh, to provide for the needs of people in our church and in our community, to provide for the needs of missionaries across the world, uh, for all the things that you are doing and more, Lord, would you use the tithe, these tithes and offerings for those ends? We thank you for this time in which we are able to give, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you had remained standing, we'll continue in worship with hymn number 111, which is This Is My Father's World. Let's sing hymn 111. Well, good morning to you all. Do I look different? <laughs> I, got, I got a robe, if you didn't notice. You, always, you start by stating the obvious. That's, so that's what we're doing. Um, good morning. It's good to see you all. Um, we are in the midst of the transition of moving to Louisville, so please continue to pray that that would go smoothly. And if you need anything from me in the meantime, do not hesitate to contact me. Uh, but with that... We're going to open up God's Word and look again this week at the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 17. And while you're turning, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this opportunity to study your Word um, in it. We get to see... Not only your, your wisdom, uh, but also your love and your grace and your mercy. And I pray that through your love, grace, and mercy, you would minister to us today and make this text come alive to us once more. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 of Matthew 17. Hear God's word. And after 
Six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This ends the reading of God's Word. So we're in the midst of a series I've entitled Transfigurational Living. And in it we're talking about really the principle of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that the way Christians are changed by the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Jesus is by beholding the glory of Jesus Christ and we behold him nowhere clearer than in the transfiguration event. So what I, what I want us to see from the passage today, we're going to look at three things, Jesus' face, Jesus' clothes, and Peter's tabernacles. And we'll ask these questions. Uh, what is the glory of Christ? Where can it be seen? And what can we do about it? So number one, what is the glory of Christ? I realized this week that I've been spending weeks talking about Jesus' glory, but we have, haven't actually tried to define what it is. Well, one of the reasons is because it's almost impossible to, to define, but we're going to take a shot at it today. So look at the first part of verse 2 in our passage. It says, Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. So there are two really important words there. The first one is shone. It's the Greek word lampo. So Jesus' glory lamped. It, it illuminated. It shined. It shone. His face was glowing like a lamp. Now let's back up and we'll, we'll tie this to the Old Testament. So the Old Testament concept of glory is a simple concept that's very complicated to explain. And uh, you'll, that'll make sense in a moment. But the Hebrew word for glory literally means weight. It means to be heavy. Um, something glorious is something heavy. And the, the best way I know how to summarize the glory of God in this way is the way Jonathan Edwards did so. And this is what he said. God's glory is his infinite fullness of good. Edwards calls God an infinite fountain of holiness, moral excellence, and beauty. So what we have in the being of God is the fullness of goodness. We have the fullness of moral perfection. And that idea of fullness, he's as good as one can possibly be. He's, he's as morally perfect as one can be. And so that leads to a, what you might call a heaviness. There's nothing lacking in him. He's as full as he could possibly be of all of his attributes and all of his perfections. Now, when the Hebrews describe that as being heavy, it makes us scratch our head because we say, well, you know, God is a spirit. He has not a body like man. So how can a spirit be heavy? Well, it's a physical way of describing a spiritual reality, that God is so full of all his perfections that it leads to a certain heaviness. So... That's why I say that the term glory is simple but complicated at the same time. God's glory can't really be explained. It's not something you grasp rationally. It's too big for that. It's too heavy. And that's why when we talk about the glory of God, the most famous prayer about the glory of God probably in the Old Testament was prayed by Moses in the book of Exodus when he stood on the mountain before God. He prayed a simple prayer. He said what? Explain your glory to me. No, that's actually not what he said. He said, show me your glory. He had received the law from God. He had heard the word of God. He had actually seen God's works in Egypt. He'd seen the Nile turn to blood. He'd seen the death of the firstborn. 
He'd seen the parting of the Red Sea, but he's still saying, God, show me your glory. And that tells us that God's glory is something meant to be seen more than it's meant to be explained. And that's something really hard for Presbyterians to talk about sometimes because we like explanations, really detailed explanations. John Calvin wrote his Institutes of the Christian Religion to try to explain everything when he was like 27. He was so well educated. But God's glory is something that needs to be seen. And for God to show his glory, that means he has to visibly manifest his glory. He has to lamp it. He has to do something external to himself to actually show it to us. So in the two main passages in the Old Testament, when God does this, when he lamps his glory, uh, one with Moses, one with the prophet Elijah, the two men who are standing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible describes God's glory in terms of its passing by. So first, Exodus thirty-three twenty-two says, While my glory passes by, God says, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. He's going to show it. He's going to pass by. The same with Elijah. This is in First uh, Kings nineteen eleven. And he said, God said, Go forth and stand upon the mount again before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Why does God pass by? Why is that type of terminology used? Because of what God says to Moses in Exodus 33, 20, right before he passes by. He says, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. See, God, in the Old Testament, God can only give them as a spirit a passing glimpse of his glory. They can't handle the full weight of his glory. It's too weighty. It's crushing. The light is too bright. And so he passes by. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you've studied the New Testament, there are so many references to Jesus when he's on the scene passing by. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, one is John the Baptist's declaration of Jesus as the Lamb of God. John one thirty six. When John saw Jesus passing by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Another one is when Jesus walks on water in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 48. It says this, And he, being Jesus, saw that the disciples were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. That's such an odd phrase. So he comes walking on water, seeing that the disciples are struggling. Why does he mean to pass them by? It continues, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So he's not walking to them directly. He's going to pass by them. Why is Mark telling us that? He's telling us that as God passed by in the Old Testament and showed his glory, every passing by of Jesus is further revealing the glory of God to his disciples. So now, back to our passage. Here's the second really important word in verse 1. One is that lampo. It's that Jesus' glory shone. The other, the other is that it was his face that shone like the sun. Remember what God says to Moses. No one could see my face and live. Now we have the glory of God, not just passing by on the Mount of Transfiguration. We have it shining from the face of Jesus Christ and and it's described as being as bright as the sun. This is showing us that Jesus Christ is the fullest manifestation of the fullness of God's perfection coming to us in a man, in a human being. And this should absolutely blow our minds as it blew the minds of the disciples. Jesus Christ, this text is showing us, is the incarnation of the glory of God. He is the fullness of God in a human being. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
2 Corinthians 4, 6. God, who has said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The culmination of everything Moses wanted to see, the culmination of everything Elijah wanted to see, they're seeing it on the Mount of Transfiguration, and so are the disciples, and we're called to see it too. They're seeing the glory of God being shown in a face, in the face of Jesus Christ, as Paul puts it. In Jesus, we can look at the face of God and live. In Jesus' face, God lamps his glory so brightly that it shines like the sun. You remember the, uh, the Old Testament benediction from the book of Numbers. What does God say to Aaron to bless his people with? May God's face shine upon you. And in the transfiguration, that's exactly what is happening in the face of Jesus, we see the fullness of God's perfection, purity, love, joy, all that he is shining gloriously to the disciples. The glory of God is his fullness. It's something that's meant to be seen, and it's seen in Jesus. That leads to point two. So we know it can be seen in Jesus. How can we see the glory of God in Christ? We're not standing on the Mount of Transfiguration. Or are we? I ask myself that sometimes. So again, verse 2, Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. Here's a key phrase, and his clothes became white as light. What's happening here isn't just that Jesus' face is shining like the sun. This is the part that ripped, this is why we ended up spending more than one week on this passage. Because what gripped me more than anything was I had never noticed, it wasn't just Jesus' face, it was Jesus' clothes. How can his clothes possibly shine? Well, the commentators, you know, they tell us that this, this event is a, a brief glimpse of God ripping away the veil and showing us who Christ really is, that he's the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. It's like a veil is being ripped away, and the disciples are seeing Jesus for who he really is. And so what's surprising isn't that Jesus' face dazzles. That's Jesus. But what about his clothes? His clothes aren't him. There's something that he's wearing on his body. But they become dazzling white, it says. They're lamping. Jesus' face is lamping, but so are the clothes. And so I ask, what on earth is going on here? And I read Matthew Henry's commentary, and this is how he explained it. He said, all of Christ's body was altered, as his face was, so that beams of light darting from every part through his clothes made them white and glittering. The shining of the face of Moses was so weak. Now think back to that. You remember? Moses sees the glory of God. His face begins to shine. He has to put a veil over it. Paul refers to that in 2 Corinthians 3, as well as the book of Exodus refers to it. But the veil blocks the glory from shining out so that Israel doesn't have to look upon it. So Henry continues. The shining of the face of Moses was so weak that it could easily be concealed by a thin veil. But such was the glory of Christ's body that his clothes were enlightened by it. So you see what he's saying. Henry's saying, Christ's glory is so great that it can permeate through created things. The weight and energy of his glory can be seen through created things, such as clothing in our passage. He can shine. Jesus can shine through this imperfect creation like light can shine through a dusty window. This goes along with what the rest of the Bible says about God's glory, though we probably don't think about it much. Uh, that's why we sang this morning, you know, God, all nature sings thy glory. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Isaiah 6, the angels say, not just holy, 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 but they say the whole earth is full of God's glory. Acts 14, verse 17 says that rain and harvests and food preach the glory of God. Romans 1.20 famously says that God's invisible attributes, who he is, his power, his deity, have been proclaimed and all the things that have been made so that when we stand before him in the last day, if we try to deny him, I always remember uh, John Piper years ago saying, imagining all these, the new atheists who were, were preaching ten, so, so much 10 years ago who are much more quiet now, denying the existence of God, that when they stand before God on the last day, they're going to say, we didn't know. We wish you'd have shown us. 
And he says, you know, it's Psalm 2. God is just, he's going to laugh. You didn't know? You didn't see? Did you see a sunset? Did you see a thunderstorm? Did you see the ocean? Did you see a river? Did you see anything? The fact that we exist, we're made in the image of God, declares the glory of God. And Revelation 21, 23 says that when Jesus Christ returns, in the regeneration, as he calls it, the, the consummation of his kingdom, the, the creating or recreating of the new heavens and the new earth, this passage took on new meaning to, to me this week in light of this past week in light of the transfiguration. This is what it says, Revelation 21, 23. The city will have no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God will give it light, and the Lamb will be its lamp. In other words, the new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be a new transfiguration. And Jesus is going to shine so brightly in it, there'll there'll be no need for the sun. The sun will pale in comparison. He's going to shine so brightly. He will be our light. Well, we're not in the consummation of the new heavens and the new earth yet. But the fact that Christ's glory could shine through clothing, as Matthew Henry says, means that Jesus' glory is so bright that it has a way of showing up, even now in this fallen creation. Maybe we don't see it shining as bright as the sun, the way the disciples did, but his glory still passes by. It still shows up, and we see it. Maybe like sunlight sneaking through the crack of a, a barn, but still we see it. And here's the problem with that. We spend so much of our lives wrapped up uh, with just our general busyness, with our professions, with our families, with our vacations, with our entertainment, that we just don't take the time to slow down and to notice that he may be passing by. And so that leads to point three. What can we do about the fact that God's glory is present for us now? I want you to look at verse four of our passage. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. That's one thing. When, God, when his glory shows up, it's good that we're here. But he continues, If you wish, I will make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now the word translated tent there is the same word that can, that's translated elsewhere, tabernacle. It's referring back to the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents or the Feast of Tabernacles. They all mean the same thing. It's referring back... It can refer to the temple as well. So Peter is kind of scared out of his wits here. And Mark tells us in Mark 9, 6 that Peter didn't know what to say because he was terrified. And so the first thing that blurts out of his mouth is, we need to build a tabernacle. We need to build three tabernacles to commemorate you. Well, there's a lot, a lot there. We could spend weeks talking about this. Well, one thing it's showing us is that God is saying when he says, listen to Jesus only, and the other two disappear, he's saying, no, there's... Two of those guys there are not tabernacle worthy. But regardless, commentators debate exactly what Peter has in mind here in offering to build these tabernacles. But the most plausible explanation I've seen is that Peter, with the hair standing on the back of his neck, scared, is saying, Lord, I'm really glad we're here to see this, but you need to cover that up. It's a little too much, don't you think? A little too revealing. Because in the Old Testament, when God, what God did, you know, the, people of Israel, the people of Israel didn't want to see God's glory. They were scared. They said, Moses, you go. You handle this. And Moses even had to cover his face. And so you get the tabernacle. And there, in the Holy of Holies, this was the primary dwelling place of the glory of God. And only the high priest could go there into that presence. And that only once a year. And it became a tradition they were so scared for the high priest to go into that presence that they'd tie a rope around his ankle so that if he died there, they could pull him out because they were so fearful of entering into the presence of the glory of God. Peter, in our passage, wasn't expecting to have to deal with the glory of God shining in the face of a person on an ordinary day of the week, and boom, there it is, just breaking out. And for us to apply that, there are areas of our lives, there are times in our lives for us too when we don't want to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We want to bottle it up. We want to cover it up. We don't have to, want to have to deal with it. It's like we say, God, I'm doing fine with my finances. 
I don't need you to come meddling. I don't need your glory showing up and telling me I have to give things away because the one who is rich for love's sake became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich and therefore have to give as he gave. It's like we say, God, I don't want your glory showing up and meddling in my marriage. I've got this all handled. I don't need you shining on that because then I might have to change. I might have to actually apologize to my spouse every once in a while or I might have to become a better husband or a better wife. You know, John Piper says when he talks about missions, he says missions exist because there are places where the glory of God is not shining. And it's the same way in our souls. There are unreached mission fields in our souls and in our lives where the glory of Christ needs to shine. And when it does, 2 Corinthians 3, that's how we're transformed. When we let him shine more and more upon us. And now that, for us, now that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven and he sent the Spirit here, that means every day there are new opportunities to behold the glory of Christ, to behold it in prayer, to behold it in the reading of Scripture, to behold it in worship, but also to just behold it generally in our lives. We're meant to be glory-seeing people as Christians. As much as the disciples had access to a vision of the glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, so we now have access to it in our day-to-day lives. And when you start to see it, it transfigures everything. And this is my father's world. I remember it, it hit me a while back singing that song. Um, that Some of it sounds like a bunch of woo-woo. Like like it sounds like a bunch of spiritual mumbo-jumbo because the hymn says things like, In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Are we really allowed to say that? I mean, he speaks most clearly in the Bible, right? Aren't we really big on that? But, but it's, there it is in the Trinity hymnal. Can you believe it? In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Nate Wilson, an author I enjoy, said that he can't hear water rolling through a stream without hearing God roll his R's. And he can't see a dust bunny rising up from a field without God seeing him twirl his finger in the dirt. Do you look at the world that way? Jonathan Edwards says, it's a great quote, How doth the whole creation, the sun, the fields, and trees... Love a humble holiness. How doth all the world congratulate, embrace, and sing to a sanctified soul? I like to say the Christian life should be like a musical. That song can break out at any moment. But Edwards is saying the whole creation is like that. A song can break out. A song of Christ's praise can break out at any moment in the rustling grass. I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. In the Gospels, Jesus shows us the glory of God in his own face and he wants to show it to you in your own life that's why gk chesterton said you pray grace before meals great i pray it before i go to a play before i go to the opera before i sit down to read a book i say grace all the time that's when you have a sanctified soul and you're prepared for all of creation everything to sing to you the problem isn't that God isn't willing to show us his glory. The problem isn't that Jesus isn't willing to make his face shine upon it. The problem is we're not ready to see it. And God is calling us more and more to pray the prayer of Moses and say, show me your glory. Matthew 17, back in our passage, you know, the, the disciples, it says they fell on their face in fear. They're covering their face. Jesus' face is shining. Their faces are being covered. They're hiding from it. There's an autobiography, which is one of my favorite books, by a lady named Lucy Grayley, called Autobiography of a Face. And her story is very tragic. Uh, she, she's passed on now, but she had jaw cancer at a very young age. And her life story is called Autobiography of a Face, because her face, her jaw, became so much a part of her identity, and that's what she's wrestling with in the book. On the cover, at least of the, the edition that I have, it's a picture of a woman wearing a hat with a veil on it. So after one of her first surgeries, and her jaw is being absolutely mutilated, 
Her mom tells her in the wake of it, and she's an insecure little girl, says, you can stay home from school today. It's okay. And Lucy said, I understood my mother's offer only as a barbed verification of what I believe to be the indisputable truth. I was too ugly to go to school. And she started to wear a big hat that she pulled down over her face to try to hide in the shadows, so to speak. And that hat became her veil in life. And this is a quote. She said, I refuse to be seen in public without my hat. My hat. It became part of me, an inseparable element of who I thought I was. My hat was my barrier between me and what I was vaguely becoming aware of as ugly about me and the world. It hid me, hid my secret, though badly. As long as I had it on, I felt safe. And so she goes through life wearing a veil. Well, she tells a moment, a monumental moment in her life where she'd been wearing that hat constantly and she had to go to the doctor's office for a checkup on her face. And the doctor said, you have to take the hat off, Lucy. And this is what she said. Dr. Conley examined me. He held my head in his hands, touching my face as no one else had in years. It was only then that I realized how guarded I had become about my face Simply relaxing and allowing him to touch my face was akin to surrender, the closest I ever got to actually experiencing trust. So our text is showing us Jesus is willing to show you his face. The question is, are you willing to show him yours? Are you willing in trust to open up and say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Every part of it. Shine your light on every part of my life. Are you willing to stand before Jesus today and say, show me your glory in places I've never seen it before? Make little transfiguration moments for me in my life when I walk out of this place, not just on Sunday mornings. Make this world a mount of transfiguration for me. Are you willing to trust him enough to believe he can show you the glory of God without destroying you? Because he was destroyed for you. Are you willing to trust him enough to believe that his face is shining on you, even now? Are you willing to say, show me your glory? Let us pray. Father, thank you for revealing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We want to live transfigurational lives, lives where we're constantly beholding the glory of Jesus. And that that glory by the Spirit is constantly transforming us. Until we finally enjoy that day when we stand face to face in Him and shine just as He shines. And say, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing your praise than when we first begun. Help us to go out as lamps shining in this world this week as we behold and reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together now and sing hymn number 585. 585.
Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And may Christ make his face shine upon you. Amen.